Amen. Uh, thank you, worship team, and getting our hearts prepared and our minds prepared to hear from God's word this morning. Um, first thing I want to do today is um, recognize some people who are leaving shortly, um, probably in another hour and a half or so, we have our James Project team uh, will be heading on their missions trip for the week. Um, so if anyone is, I know not many of you, and I'm not going to ask you to come forward this morning. One of you is already shaking your head no at me. Um, I will not ask you to come forward, but would you stand if you're on the James Project um, heading out this week? Just stand where you're at, let everyone see who you are, and then we will pray. There's some under the balcony, some down front here, a couple up in the balcony. Um, we're excited. Um, we're excited for a week as we're, we're going to head out and serve the Lord by serving those with different physical and mental disabilities at a camp for adults. Um, we'll be teaching God's word. We'll be supporting their trained professional staff um, so that they can run the daily activities. And we're really excited to be a part of that. Um, so let's have a word of prayer for that team. Um, and also we're going to pray for the Kenya team be praying for Pastor Greg and Bev, who are still on their vacation. Just hope they're having a refreshing time. So let's pray. Lord God, we're just thankful for those who are willing to go and do what you've commanded us to do. Um, we do pray for the James Project team. We ask that you um, give us traveling mercies as we head there, and then we'll be heading home next Saturday. But Lord, pray that you're honored and glorified in our actions and our attitudes for the week. Um, we do thank you for the work you did in Kenya And we do pray for that team as they are on their way home currently, that you would continue to give them safety in their travels. And we do think of Pastor Greg and Bev and just continue to give them a relaxing time um, away that they can just get rejuvenated and be ready and excited to come back and serve you here with us. And we just thank you for these things in your name. Amen. If you would turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 14. We're going to look at verses 12 through 24. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still, there is no room, or, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. 
For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Lord, this morning as we look into your word and as your Holy Spirit challenges us, I pray that we would really think about, are we listening to your invitations? Um, Both as followers of yours and those here who are not followers, are we hearing the invitations and the opportunities that you lay before us? Um, Just once again, we pray that your Holy Spirit just helps examine our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. To set the scene here um, of this passage, back in verse 1 of chapter 14, we find Jesus, his disciples, some Pharisees and others at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. And Jesus notices a man with an obvious physical ailment and asks the question of whether or not it would be lawful for him to heal him on the Sabbath. For those not familiar with the Sabbath, um, the Sabbath day is a day commanded by God for us to keep holy or separate from other days. You can find this command in Exodus in chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son, or your daughter or your male servants. God wants us to keep it separate so that we can keep focus on him. And it allows us that time to reflect This thought of having a time for reflection and reflecting on who God is and who we are in light of him is an important point for this morning's stuff. It helps us to keep our hearts in the right place. The observance of the Sabbath is important, and giving ourselves time and space to get our hearts right is vital to our growth with him. There are times when obeying God's law is easy because our hearts are in the right place. But then there's other times when... Our hearts aren't in the right place, but we need to obey God's law until our heart gets there. Now, Jesus was, in a way, having them examine their own hearts. If you look back to verse 5 of this chapter, he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an oxen that has fallen into the well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? Jesus makes it personal here because they were so caught up in keeping the law their own way, so caught up in doing the law the way that they thought it should be done, They were missing the point of God's commands in the first place. They were so concerned with keeping the law the way they said they were missing their Messiah right in front of them. Now next, Jesus uses an observational moment here to teach them. He notices that the people have chosen to seat themselves in places of honor. He uses this moment to teach about humility, looking out for the best interests of others before ourselves. Being humble is another important point to keep in mind this morning as we continue to go through this passage. Then we get to where we are today and the parable of the great banquet. Now, Jesus would often teach using parables that dealt with and used current situations, things they would be familiar with, in order to teach about eternal things, his kingdom things. And I especially want to focus on verses 16 to 24. Now, I've heard this passage taught quite often lately. Um, I used it as a devotional not too long ago. But a lot of different seminars and and classes I've gone to as of late, probably since um, the end of last year to now, have dealt with how do we teach and reach those with different disabilities. And this was the go-to passage. This was the go-to verse for all of those. But the Lord kept laying something different on my heart. Um, And I'm not downplaying what they were teaching. It was very important. But I kept thinking about, what about those who were missing the banquet? What about those who weren't accepting the invitation that was laid out right before them? And I asked God and been praying about, where am I missing invitations? 
Where am I missing God putting opportunities before me that he wants to partner with him in ministry? Where am I missing that because of all the good things I'm doing? And when I say good things, things that we think in our lives that are good things to do. Now, Jesus to this group was specifically reinforcing to them that he came and promised his kingdom first to the Israelites and is now moving his ministry out to the Gentiles. Those who he originally offered the kingdom to had rejected it. And in the immediate context of this passage, I think Jesus is speaking here to the Pharisees and pretty much saying, you're so busy doing all this stuff, but you're missing the one who you've been waiting for. The elite in the Jewish religious circles had felt they were already in. And we can see that there in verse 15, when, he, when the gentleman reclined at the table says to Jesus, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now I want to go back through Jesus' response again here in verse 16. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all like began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now I want to focus on two groups today. And I believe there are things from this parable that both groups need to pay attention to and consider in their lives. Group one is those who are followers of Jesus Christ. Group two is those who are not. For those that are followers of Jesus, I want you to think about this question. When are good things causing me to miss God things? What good things do we do that may cause us to miss what God is asking us to do? Where is God inviting me into ministry for him, but I'm declining the invitation, or maybe even I'm just missing it because of all the good things that I'm doing? And I want to start with thinking about how do we hear God's voice above the noise and above the busyness of our schedules. And then I want to look at some biblical warnings as to why this is important for us as followers of Jesus Christ. And you may be thinking, what in the world are you talking about? Missing God things for good things. If you look at these activities that cause those to miss the invitation, um, I have bought a field. I have bought oxen. I got married. I think we can look at these three things in this passage as property or possessions, work, and relationships. To me, it sounds like life. It sounds like our life and our schedules that we keep. The majority of our time is probably occupied by these three things. And all of these things are great things. And they deserve our time, our energy, and our stewardship. And please don't mishear me and think that I'm saying that any of those are bad things. I'm currently doing a study um, by Andy Stanley where he talks, he calls it visioneering. And um, in that, this week, one of the things he discussed was, and we got to watch that we don't do this, is we compartmentalize our lives. We think, here's my work life, here's my activity life, here's my family life, and over here's my God life. That's not how God looks at it. God looks at it as it's all his. 
It's all those things we are supposed to be doing for his honor and glory. And we can't separate them from when and how we serve God. And those things that fall into those three categories don't have to be the only good things we're doing. Think about sports, hobbies, and entertainment, and all good things. But how much of those things keep us from hearing what God is asking us to do? How busy is life that we miss the God things? We miss what God wants to show us. We miss what God is doing. We miss where he wants to use us because we're so busy living out our everyday routine. Now, how do I hear God speaking above all the noise around me? I believe it starts with our relationship with him. The closer you are to the one who's speaking to you, the easier it is to hear them. What are you doing to cultivate your relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you intentionally schedule time to be in prayer? Do you schedule time to hear from his word? Do we set aside time devoted to worship and praise him? And do we have others we spend time with that point us towards Jesus? If you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 4610, you'll see what some of what God's word has to say about this. And many of you maybe know this passage and it'll be familiar when I read it. Um, But Psalm 4610 Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It's tough to be still when we are constantly on the go. Within your daily schedule, how can you be still? Do we put our busyness in his hands or do we allow it to cause anxiousness and worry? Um, I probably put anxiousness and worry here because I know for myself, what are the first two things that happen when I'm too busy? Anxiousness and worry. Um, which are not things that God wants us to do, is be anxious and worry. We're supposed to give those things to him. During those moments when we focus on the who we are doing it for, it brings us back to a place of realizing he is the one in control. In 1 Kings 19, 9 through 13, Elijah is here, and there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now from that, when are we quiet enough to hear God when he is speaking in a low whisper? Oftentimes I know I wait anxiously for the billboard. I want God to shout from somewhere. Mike, this is what you're supposed to be doing, or a sign that says, Mike, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Do I quiet my heart? Do I quiet myself down enough to hear from him when he is speaking in that still, small voice, in that whisper? Both of these verses remind me I can't let schedules, activities, work, ministry get to where I'm not paying enough attention to see where God may be moving and looking to use me. As followers of Jesus, we need to keep in mind our purpose for doing all things. 
1 Corinthians 10.31, so whenever, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. When we slow down enough to think about each step of the way, each thing we're doing throughout our routine, throughout life, that we are doing it for God's honor and glory, I think that helps us to slow down, hear him, see where he's directing, see where he's leading. The other thing I think oftentimes is comfort. And when we become too comfortable doing something, maybe we're not as willing to hear when God is leading us to go somewhere else, when God is leading us to do something different. Um, that may not always be the case, but sometimes comfort is, gets in the way of us hearing and responding to his word. How do we know when good things are keeping us from God things? This can be a tough question to ask, um, and sometimes it's a tough thing to determine. It's also a very difficult thing to wrestle with. But I believe wrestling with that helps us keep spiritually healthy, helps us come to a place where we're healthy in looking at what God wants us to be doing and how he wants us to be doing it. But sometimes wrestling with it isn't fun. Sometimes it causes us to give up things that we don't want to give up in the process. So in that process, keeping our relationship right, like we talked about earlier, how are we doing with obeying his commands? Prayer, seeking counsel from others, and turning God's word to advice for advice need to be part of that process. A recent example, um, one of the things I pray about weekly is that God would increase my discipleship footprint. Um, it's not a prayer of increasing the amount of what I do. It's not increasing um, the amount of activities I'm involved in. It's just asking God, show me different ways that I can increase my impact for him in the lives of others. Um, and within the past month to month and a half, I had an oppor- opportunity come up to do something that I love to do in an area and with a group that I love to do it with. And it's something I'm extremely passionate about. It's actually one of, if you were here last week and heard my sermon, it's one of the five things that popped up constantly throughout um, my kids' responses. So I decided to commit it to prayer, um, look at God's words and seek, word and seek out advice from others. And in that process, determined that This is the direction God wants me to go, but it was going to require some sacrifice and some sacrifice to some good things. But looking at God's word, I knew what the priorities were. Seeking advice from others, I knew what the direction was to go. And um, I believe that's something that's important for all of us. When we're looking at where God wants to use us, are we praying about it? Are we looking to his word? And are we asking others for their advice and other godly people who are growing in their walk with the Lord? Now, I won't give you any concrete evidence um, that will tell you whether or not the good things are getting in the way of the God things. Um, But I do want to look at some warnings in Scripture. And I think Scripture does have some warnings um, where God's Word tells us we need to watch out for it. As individuals and as a church, we need to be aware that sometimes we get caught up in doing things just for the sake of doing them. And we really forget about why we do them. So if you turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. 
I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But this I have against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in paradise of God. What stands out to me about this church is that God knows there's works. They're doing great things, yet they lost their first love. The church in Ephesus looks good. It looks healthy. It's a hard-working, active church committed to the truth of God's word, yet they still, loved the lo- they still lost their first love. I think most of us would look at the church in Ephesus and think they have it all together. We'd believe they're healthy and alive. So how does this happen? What can transpire in our relationship with Jesus that can cause us to lose him as our first love? I think looking at the three commands here in verse, verse 5, it gives us some insight as to what went wrong in the first place so we can be aware of, how these, of these things as well, and it tells us how to restore our first love. In verse 5, the church is exhorted to remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Um, The music that the worship team sang this morning was great in leading us to a place of thinking about who we are in the light of who God is. To thinking about just how needy and dependent we are on our God. Um, And I believe when we lose sight of that, a level of pride takes us away from our first love. Paul David Tripp wrote a book um, called Dangerous Calling. He wrote it specifically to pastors. Um, And he warns and encourages pastors to daily remind themselves of God's grace and who we are in light of who God is. He encourages them that the first thing in the morning they need to do is come before God and realize how dependent they are on him. And I think this is true for all of us. When we start to lose perspective of how much we need God in everything, pride starts to take over. We forget who we were and how hopeless we are without Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked in Deuteronomy, 4 and, or Deuteronomy 6 and Joshua 4 about the need for reminders of who God is and his goodness, lest we forget. Keeping the reality that we need to be following Jesus in everything in our lives, I believe, helps us to always put him first above all other things. Repent. Repentance is a call to turn away from and to change and confess it to the Lord. The things the church were doing were good things. I believe what we see Jesus calling them to is repent of their heart attitude. Repent that the things became more important than him. And I think we need to be wary of, and we need to look in our own hearts. When do the things we do become more important than the one we're supposed to be doing them for? And then do the works you did at first. When you think about your relationship with Jesus Christ, what passion and things did you do when you first began your relationship with him? Do you serve God today with the same love and passion as when you first met him? Do you serve in areas with the same passion and love for the Lord as when you first started serving him? There's an example that I thought of right away with passion and energy, and it's something we have coming up in a couple weeks, um, VBS. And 
when you walk out, you'll see in the foyer halfway through, there's a sign-up. If any of you prayerfully consider signing up to help out with VBS, we would love to have you. Um, But when Monday comes around, every leader, every child is going to have a level of energy um, that you won't see towards the end of the week. Um, It's not because they're losing their first love. It's because we're human and we have more energy when we're not as tired. But as the week goes on, you will see that dwindle a little bit. And you'll see it more so in the leaders than you will in the children. But the children will tire out too. Um, When you think about your walk with the Lord, does your Friday look like your Monday? Does the end of your week, does where you are now, look like it did when you first started your relationship with the Lord? When you think about that energy, that passion, that love, that appreciation for what God has done for you. When I look at this passage, I think Jesus is saying he wants us to always serve him with love, passion, and excitement. And when we start to lose that, I'm not sure, but maybe he's asking us to do something differently. Or maybe he's just asking us to come back to him and make him the center of it again. Energy changes. We can't do the same amount of things that we, most of us could when we were younger. But our passion needs to be still there. Our excitement needs to be still there. And our love needs to still be there. The way I express it, though, you may just be different. And I want, to want to, I want to look at one more church here over in Revelation 3. We're going to look at the church of Laodicea in verses 14 through 22. And the angel of the church of Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful, the true witness the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot, cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, and poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love. I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Now, understanding a little bit of the geography of Laodicea at this time is important when you read this passage. Um, It was located between two other cities, one famous for its hot springs, another famous for its pure cold water. That water traveled from both locations to Laodicea via aqueduct. And it was really undesirable by the time it reached Laodicea. It was this lukewarm mess by the time it got there. So this picture of being lukewarm would have really spoken to the church in Laodicea. Things had gone so well from a culture standpoint for the church in Laodicea that they don't realize their true heart condition. It was a wealthy city. And likewise, apparently the church was also very wealthy. Verse 17 says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Where do our possessions, where does having it well keep us from seeing our need for God? When does being prosperous keep us from seeing our dependency on him? Verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, 
I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Where is God calling us into deeper relationship with him, into ministry with him? And where are we missing it? Where are we not hearing that knock? In general, a knock on the door is an obvious thing. And as followers of Jesus, sometimes this call is obvious when we're supposed to be doing ministry. The responsibility is on us to open the door. He's there, willing and ready to join us. We just need to respond. Now, my next group is those who are not followers of Jesus. And my question for you is simple. What are you waiting for? Please do not miss out on the invitation. You may have heard me use the phrase today, um, who I am in light, of, in light of who God is. And we all need to understand who we are before God. If you turn in your Bibles to John 3.16, we're going to look at three, verses 16 to 19. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. This passage starts out with what may be the most popular Bible verse. Its point is so great and impactful that whether or not you believe in God and follow God, you cannot deny that this has changed history. God loves you. He desires a relationship with you. It's not a temporary thing. It's not a quick fix thing. It's an eternal relationship that he desires to have with you. It's a sacrificial love. God willingly sent his son to die so that if we believe in him, we can have a relationship with him. And verse 17 is so important too. Jesus did not come to condemn, but to be a source of light in life. It is only through him that we can have that. It is only through him that we can be saved. All the good works and the good deeds that we talked about today, those aren't enough to get us into heaven. As a follower of Jesus, those good works should be a result of my heart being changed by him and because I believe in him. Believing in him is the only thing that will get you into heaven, as it says in verse 16. Now I want to invite the worship team to come back up, but I also want to take this opportunity to give you that invitation again. If you don't take anything else away from this morning, please listen and think about this. Romans 3.23 tells us that there is no distinction. All of us have sinned. All of us fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us does things that breaks God's commands and his law. And none of us can do enough good work or good things to fix that. But because of God's love for us, For me, for you, he provides us a way through his son, Jesus Christ, that if you believe in him, we can live with him forever. But you need to believe. You need to accept the invitation given. What are we waiting for? Tomorrow is no guarantee for any of us, and we're going to ask that you would accept that invitation today. So for anybody here 
that is a follower of Jesus, I ask that you pray. And just pray for the Holy Spirit to be speaking in the hearts of those who do not know him. One of the things that we do here at GBC is if you want to accept that invitation, we're going to ask you to stand in a moment. And then we're going to have someone come together with you and go out the back and they'll go into a room and explain this to you and sit down with you and pray. But I'm asking you, if anyone here this morning would be interested in accepting Jesus Christ as Savior, I'm asking don't miss this invitation. Um, We see in this passage where Jesus speaking to those who he came for who continually missed it. So I ask you right now, if you want to, you can stand where you're at and someone will come next to you. But I'm asking, please don't miss this, this opportunity um, to accept him if you do not know him. Anybody, anywhere. Let us pray. Lord, we're thankful for the works you want to do in our lives. We're thankful for the work that you are doing in our lives. We do pray for those, Lord, um, in this room that do not know you today, that they would take an opportunity at some point to, to just come before you, to admit their need for you and accept your son as their savior. For those of us, Lord, here who are followers of yours, help us to really consider where it is that we're blocking you out whether it's intentional or unintentional, in busy schedules, and busy lives, Lord, um, we tend to just do routine and we really don't think about it on occasion where you're at in it. Pray that you help us to slow down and to really understand that you want to be a part of everything we do and that we just need to faithfully, obediently follow you. In your name we pray. Amen.